You are listening to Relish the Journey wherever you're streaming your podcast right now. Hanging out with me, Miles Biggs, your host and guide on this audio journey. And I'm excited for this episode because it's another awesome walk down memory lane for me. It is a first in Relish the Journey history, originally airing back season one, episode 30. We're about to hear from Jay Villar, and it's a first for a few reasons. It was the first quote-unquote outsider that I interviewed for the podcast, meaning it was somebody I had never met before. It wasn't a friend. It wasn't a family member. It wasn't uh, a friend of a friend, right, who I'd met in passing, sort of an acquaintance. I never met Jay before this interview. I never talked to Jay before this interview. We just hopped on the phone and got right into it. And so listening back, it's fun because I remember, I really remember this conversation like it just happened because this changed a lot of things for me. It made me feel like I wasn't alone out there. You know, for a while, when I started this podcast, I felt like I was the only crazy person teaching myself this new thing, putting myself out there. Um, I don't know, like when, when you don't know other people who are doing the types of things you're doing, it's easy to feel isolated. Talking to Jay really made me realize, oh, wait, I'm not the weird one. I think everybody else is weird that's not doing something like this because Jay... And I had so much in common. You know, he was a DJ. He was, he's a day trader, teaching himself. He taught himself how to trade stocks, how to spin music and mix music. And even since this episode aired, he bought a restaurant and reopened a restaurant called The Rail Yard in Wilkesbury, Scranton. So he is like a renaissance man. And what I love about this episode, a couple things, but there were his energy. I mean, he, he's on the phone, but he just makes you want to get up and walk around because he's so pumped up. It gets you pumped up. He was so passionate. His mindset just couldn't be altered. This is a guy that if you if you tr- like had all the scientific facts that the sky was green, he would argue with you that the sky was blue because that's what he saw. And it doesn't matter what you told him. He knows what he sees and he knows what he believes. And that just comes through in every response. Even his answer to describe his life and journey in three words, I barely got done explaining the question and he had already sputted out and was fired up talking about it. So I love conversations like this because they reminded me why I started the podcast, why I still do this podcast. It's because of really, really fired up and inspirational people like Jay, who might not think of themselves as a fired up and inspirational person, but when you look at what they've done, what they've accomplished, what they've overcome, how they show up every day, you can just see that they've earned that sort of adjective. So give us, give us a listen with Jay, and hopefully it gets you fired up, and then we'll come back after I talk to Jay, and you and I will talk again. All right, here he is. What's cool about this for me is I started this whole thing thinking that one day this exact moment would happen. So I've started this podcast with my family and friends, people I know, with the hopes that one day it's going to go beyond that circle because I, I really felt the whole idea applied. And we're at that day, which is really cool for me. So I appreciate you being that person. I appreciate you having me, man. That's That's awesome. So... Tell me a little bit about yourself from your perspective, because I could read you the text verbatim from Mike, but it went something like this. You got to talk to my boy, Jay. He's a hustler. He works harder than everybody ever met. DJ from Scranton, also trades stocks. Great guy. Talk to him. And I was like, okay, 
work <laughs> works for me. That's that's a pretty good summary, if you ask me. I like it. So, uh, man, I mean, this, where do you want me to start? Like, I, I have so many, so much going on at one time, all the time. Um, but I mean, I, I guess a good place to start would be uh, with DJing. I've been. Um, a nightclub bar DJ slash private event DJ for about um, 11, 12 years now. I can't even keep track anymore. Um, I, um, I've, been tra- I've been day trading for myself um, for about five years now, four or five years now. And that's been like my, my daytime um, hustle, I guess you want to say. Um, and just overall entrepreneur slash businessman slash, you know, wake up and grind. Right. So let's break that into pieces. So the DJ life, the one thing Mike said to me, I thought was interesting was that you grew up or were born in New York city. Is that accurate? Yeah. So it's yeah, interesting. I, um, I was actually good. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Oh, I was born and raised in long Island. Um, so, so what's interesting. I moved here when I was 15. And what's interesting to me about that is that, when I think DJ, I don't think central Pennsylvania or northeast Pennsylvania. You think New York or Long Island, and you went from that area to PA. So were you interested in DJing out in New York, where maybe it's just me not being aware of the scene? That that seems like it'd be a bigger music scene than PA, and then you brought it over to PA, or is it something that was born in Pennsylvania? No, actually, I, I wasn't even close to being a DJ. Like That wasn't even my, my path. Um when I moved here, I was so much younger. I was, I was 15. Um, so DJing wasn't even a thought. I wasn't even into DJing. I didn't even know a DJ at 15, I think. Um, and I feel like, you know, it sucks. It's a shame that people don't give a DJ outside of a major metropolitan area, any kind of credibility. Like if I was to say, uh, if somebody asked me where you're from and I was to say Philly, I would automatically be lent more credibility than the real answer is Scranton, hmm. um, or like you said, New York, um, just because they're viewed as a major music scene. But honestly, man, like I've, I, I've heard plenty of DJs in Philadelphia, in New York, you know, in, uh, in, in, in major markets that aren't nearly as good as some of the guys that I know who are grinding it out in, you know, suburban areas. Um, but, 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 but getting, but not to get off topic too much. Um, when I moved here, it wasn't even uh, a thought in my mind. I didn't even consider being a DJ until I started working at my first nightclub. So that wasn't until I was like nineteen, I want to say. That was four years after I moved here, um, which is an interesting story in itself, too. Well, let's go um, for it. Take us so, down that path. Oh yeah, so I um. A uh, nightclub opened up called the Coliseum Nightclub, and um, I actually started there as a bottle boy, cleanup boy, and um, I, I, <laughs> I actually got fired um, about two weeks in um, <laughs> for uh, flirting with girls, <laughs> and um, so they, they fired me for not doing my job, um, and I came back, and, and the owner of the club, his name was Rob Dale. And I remember going back there and, and I pretty much, you know, I begged for my job back and, and he gave it back to me. And he, he really, uh, he was um, like, uh, he admired me for, for having the, 
the balls to come back and, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't say grovel, I didn't beg. I just asked him for my job back. I was like, look, I fucked up, give me another chance. And, and he did. Um, so uh, I remember one night I went in and I was watching the DJ who was playing. I actually think uh, it was a local guy. And I was watching him playing and I was like, that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, what are you doing? Like, and I just started asking him a couple questions, be, being that guy, right? Uh, asking him a couple questions and he, he was like, yeah, and he, he explained it to me. And, um, I was like, that's really cool. Can, you know, if I stayed after, I was like, can you show me, um, some stuff? And he's like, well, go ask Rob, go ask the owner. So I went up to Rob. And I was like, uh, I was like, hey, I was talking to, actually, it was Fritz. He was a local guy. I was like, I said, hey, I was talking to Fritz. Um, and he said that uh, to ask you uh, if I could stay and learn some stuff about DJing. I, I, I want to learn, like, what's going on. I want to learn, learn to DJ. And he's like, and I'll never forget. He, like, stops and he looks me up and down, like, straight up looks me up and down. And he goes, you want to be a DJ? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, you, you want to be a DJ? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right. He's like, stay, stay after work tonight. So I did. Um, and he pretty much gave me a, a crash course. It had a mix uh, on, on how to mix. It, you know, it was probably like, you know, a half an hour. We, he spent with me and then he was like, all right, now practice. And he just threw me in there. And just, and so it was like, you know, 2.30. It was like 3.30 in the morning, actually. Because remember, I had to stay after the club, clean up the club. At 3.30 in the morning, he gives me a half an hour practice, so it's probably like 4 in the morning around the time, and he just let me practice for like 5 hours. By the time I was out of there, it was like, you know, the sun was up. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, and um, I started spending uh, spending my nights, like I would, I would, you know, go to work, you know, as a cleanup boy, clean up the club, and then stay after, and then just practice for, you know, for weeks, just for hours, until I got the hang of it and you know everything else is pretty much history that's awesome yeah so thanks wow that's shit i'm just processing that that's pretty crazy to think about 19 years old you're cleaning up a club which is probably not not probably definitely not the most you know the greatest job i'm just thinking about clubs i've been in (laughs) and having to clean up after it but that just shows how much you loved it that you're willing to do that and then just stay you probably were awake for like 24 hours at a time, but loving every second of it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it like, it's funny because now that I'm older and I look back and I'm like, wow, that was crazy. But like in the time, at the time, it wasn't even a thought. I, I was just, I was in there any chance I could get. Like if you let me come in, you know, early, like before the club opened, I would do that too. Like I'd be there at six o'clock practicing. Um, you know, and just, and when I say practice, just learning how to generally mix, which is so much easier now. But like, just just being around, just you know, touching turntables, pretty much any chance I could get, um, I was there, whether it be before the club or after the club closed, um, every night. Right. So, um, so then, what yeah. was your what was your first solo DJ gig? Well, of course, it was there. Um, and that was on a, a Thursday night. Um, so we were doing we were doing guest DJs there for a while, and um, uh, they had somebody I can't remember his name. His name was Johnny something. He was a big house. So they were bringing a lot of like old school house DJs. Um, 
I can't even remember the names of half of them <laughs> so long ago. Um, they, they were big name house DJs, and um, they had me open for um, one of them. His name was Johnny something. If I saw it, I can remember it. I, I should really, you know, what? I'll go. I know you can stop this. Let me Google it real quick. Yeah, Google like, it. I have, it's gonna bother me. That's fine. Um, we can edit it out, and it'll be like you had it at the tip of your tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh man, it's gonna bother me. Johnny Vicious. Johnny Vicious. That was the first like big name house DJ that I opened up for. His name was Johnny Vicious, and I was so nervous because, you know, first off, I never even heard house music until I started working in this nightclub, and Rob is like a big house DJ, a big house head, so he's the one who put me on to it, so that's what I, you know, started learning on. I Prior to that, I my only experience was with hip-hop, and I didn't really like house music, so I was always like techno, you know, right. and, you know, after, after mixing it and, and you know learning how to DJ on it, I I learned to love it and I, I fell in love with it and you know, it was like opening a whole new door to this new thing. Um so I opened up for Johnny Vicious on a Thursday night and that was like my first real club gig. Um was opening up for him. And then eventually we did a team night on Thursday nights that I by myself DJed and that was like my official like residency there was on a Thursday night. Um, DJing the team night that we started on, on a Thursday night. And that was about, you know, I want to say six months to eight months after I started. That's pretty like, quick. Yeah, it's pretty quick. So, yeah. were you, like, did it ever make you nervous? Or you, you just got up there and you just knew what your element and you went for it? No, I was terrified. Yeah? <laughs> terrified. Oh my god, I was terrified. Um, Oh man, I I remember when he when he told me, you know, when he asked me if I wanted to to open up for him, wanted to DJ it all for him, and I was so so nervous. I was so scared. Um, I mean, it, I had, you know, it was not a, a performing for me in general. Being in the spotlight isn't a natural thing for me in general. Like it's it's ironic because in person. You know, if you know me, I'm I'm not a I'm not a uh, a quiet person. I'm not a um, a shy person. But as far as being in the spotlight, it's not something I really like. You know, being in front of being on stage in front of a, a bunch of people doesn't isn't a natural thing for me. Over time, it's it's got it's become natural. Um, but at the time, I was terrified. So right. Uh, but it but it went smooth. Uh, for as smooth as it could get for somebody with only about, you know, eight months of experience. That's awesome. So that was like your junior varsity days, right? And I know having read your bio that you've, you made your way up to varsity and be in the pros. So if that was your first JV gig, when did, when did it really elevate? Like what got you to that next step? You're only eight months in for your first residency, but where did you feel like the, the tables turned and you were the guy, you know, teaching someone like DJ Tones what was going on? <laughs> uh, I mean, that that just came with lots of practice and time. Um, and, and really, 
you know, just dedication at the end of the day that can summarize all of it. Um, you know, DJing was life, period, everything. Um, and, uh, you know, I told you how I discovered house music. Well, Rob and how Rob was a big house head. Well, one thing that comes hand in hand with that is production. I remember this was pre-2000, this was like 2008, 2007. So this was before the wave of EDM came and, and already left. Um, so I he he got me into producing, and he's like, you know, you need to produce to be a bigger name DJ, and and that's kind of like in the house world and in the EDM was now referred to EDM world. Um, you got to be a good producer, and then you know, then you build a name as a DJ. So I um, I started production. Um, I started on Acid Pro was the name of the was the name of the program. I had no fucking clue what I was doing, and you know, I, I self-taught myself the program. And, and you got to remember, this was pre-YouTube-esque era. YouTube was around, but not like it is now. So it's not like I could go onto YouTube and watch a tutorial. I just had to fuck around with this thing right. for hours on end, you know? And, I mean, I spent days, weeks, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years, just, you know, practicing production. Um, and I, I want to say probably, and, and of course I was DJing too, you know, locally. Um, and, and he, Rob, Rob knew DJ Scissorhands from Crooklyn Clan. And, um, I, it's funny cause I go back in now and it's terrible, but at the time it was me getting better and I was just doing basic mashups and, you know, production at the time, um, which, at the time, again, I was so it was self-taught, um, and uh, I, I I can't even tell you how far into it I was or wasn't. But um, he reached out to Scissorhands and asked him if he would listen to some of my stuff. Says listen to it, and he liked it, and he took me on board on Crack for DJs. Now, since you're not a DJ, you might not know um, what any of these websites are. But Crooklyn Clan is DJ Scissorhands and DJ Riz. And they had a website called CrookenClan.net where all DJs would go on there and they would buy like mashups and bootlegs. You know, this was pre-SoundCloud era and this was the, where DJs got their music. And it was a huge website, a great tool and a great resource. And they were DJ famous, you know, like people were famous in the DJ community and the top 40 open format community, that was like the place to be. You know, you had people like Danny Diggs, DeVille, Scooter, Seraphin, Beat Breaker. And so it was a dream to be on that website for me. Um, you know, they were like celebrity status in the DJ world almost. You know, they, they were, you know, making the, the, the club edits that we were all playing. And um, so I uh, was, so I started producing and DJing too and, and production. And um, Rob Newsom enhanced the person who was one half of Crooklyn Clan and ran the website. And he sent in my stuff, he was listening, he liked it, he put me on Crack for DJs. And that's kind of how I got my start into, like, as you refer to the varsity, this is how I got, I, I got my start into it, was um, being put on to Crack for DJs and doing production for that website. Um, I was on it for, um, for, for years. I mean, it was like, so if you using... Crooklyn Clan would be varsity in the production world, and Crack the Jesus would be junior varsity. So essentially, 
you would go on to crack some DJs, and once you proved you would sell a lot and that you, that, you know, people were buying your shit, they would move you to Crook and Clan where you were making the cream of the crop stuff. Okay. So, yeah, so he, he reached out to Sis and Sis put me on, on Crack the DJs. So, at that point, does that pay any money? Or do you, like, work in... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, all right, so at this point in time, I'm making money DJing on, you know, Thursday nights and uh, whatever nights I'm DJing. And um, I'm, I'm selling music. Well, well, at this point, of course, just put me on, so... Um, I started selling stuff on there, and it's, it was very slow at first, but it was a commission uh, structure. So um, I believe songs were selling for like three ninety nine, and at the time, I can't really remember, but it was expensive, like $4 a song. And um, pretty much they would take half, and then we'd keep the other half. Um, and so I was making money selling music on there, selling mashups on the website. That's awesome. I didn't realize... I mean, you always think that the site makes money, but you don't think about it down the line. At least I didn't. To think you're getting, you know, two bucks a song if it's four dollars a song. That's cool. So is that yeah. is that yeah. all you did? Were you all in on DJ at that point or were you holding down like you still in. doing club cleanups all and all in? I was all yeah, I, this is that was class where I, you know, I, I wasn't cleaning up working at the club as a cleanup boy anymore. Um, I was all in uh well before Cracks for DJs, um, you know, once I started DJing, because you got to remember, how much am I making as a cleanup boy? You know, I don't even remember. It's probably like eight bucks an hour. Right. You know, I'm making like $40 a night, nothing, you know, and DJing at the time, my first gig, I think paid $150, which isn't a lot of money. But to me, I had no idea DJs made money like that. When I found out that I was getting $150 for the night, I was fucking thrilled i was like wait what you kidding me plus probably free drinks right huh plus free drinks yeah (laughs) well i'm not a drinker but that was always a good perk to have right um well i remember helping mike set up when he was getting started out at the lyco area in williamsport and he would just need help hauling his equipment in and out and they'd be like, oh, are you with the DJ? I'd be like, uh, yes, yeah, I'm with the DJ. And then I'd go to settle my barbell at the end. And they're like, oh, no, you're good. And I'm like, wait, what? Mike, <laughs> like, I'll come with you every Saturday night. Whatever you need, I'm your guy because this is yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's a good part for everybody. It is. So, um, good. I, was, I talked to everyone. No, no, yeah, no. Go ahead. Well, and so reading your bio on your website – at some point, you got hooked up, you know, I talked about JV, Varsity, and then the Majors. I mean, a remix for Lil John. Like, how does that happen? That's got to be a cool story. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a cool story. Um, it, it's actually not as stellar as you would, you would imagine. It's okay. pretty much um, uh, DJ Control. He's a, an open format DJ that I know. Um, and he... Um, he, I believe he was also on Crook and Clan too for a little bit, but I, I don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, but anyway, he he, he did um, a lot of work with uh, with Little John, and they did a lot of like mashups and, and club edits and, and just uh, they worked together a lot. Where Little John would do some hype edits for him, or they would do a, a blend or a bootleg together. Um, I'm not sure how he ever got linked up with him in the first place, but they did a record called Get Naked. 
And um, then he reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do a remix for uh, for the single. And I, of course, obliged. And, and it was released on, on Beatport. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, really, that was it. He was just him pretty much hitting me up like, hey, you, uh, I have a single out with Little John called Get Naked. We're looking for some good remixers to, uh, to, to do it. Uh, are you interested? And I'm like, sure. Send me over the stems. And, and I did it. Did, did the remix. So is that something that you put out there and then sell and you get a cut of that? Or does that all go to Little John or DJ Control? I, I actually, I, I made no, I, if I, if it made money, I, I never got paid. Oh, money. really? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, a lot of stuff, a lot of the stuff that I did for Beatport, I never got paid for. Um, and, and realistically, I don't, I, don't, I don't give a shit, you know. It was never about the money for me for, for a lot of that stuff, you know. You got to remember, at the time, I was just doing what I loved, you know. Right. And, and the money was a byproduct of that. I wasn't worried about it. I never even asked. I'm sure that if I said, hey, did we ever get paid for X, Y, Z? He would have been like, sure, here's whatever. But I didn't care to ask for it. You know? Sure. Uh, I, I was just honored to have been asked to to uh, to do that. Yeah. So I, it didn't even matter to me at the time. So as a DJ, what's something that us average club goers, bar goers have no idea about on the DJ side of things? <laughs> the, the level of prep work involved. Okay. Um, I, I think a lot of people, uh, I, I don't think, I know the majority of people think that I just stand up there and press play or that, you know, music magically operates at a thin air onto my hard drive and magically I know how to get in and out of it and magically it's named the right way and I magically <laughs> know where it is. You know, like, I'm not, I'm a person, I'm not a machine, like, this shit doesn't just organize itself, it doesn't just appear on my hard drive, I have to literally, you know, go on, listen to every single song, determine whether or not that's it, so, so a typical sorting session for me would be this, because now, you know, this is going to segue into something that I do on, on a weekend basis, you know, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I spend about three hours doing this, two to three hours, still. And this, you know, back in the day, I would even do more prep work, depending on the gig. Um, you know, I, I sit down, um, I, I download music, I, I listen to it first, say, oh, this is something that is nice or not. And remember, I have nobody to tell me. I have to have an ear. It's just a natural thing that I have. Um, download it, um, rename it the right way, um, Decide what folder to put it in of what subgenre because there's so many now like EDM big room or EDM opening you know tropical house whatever the fuck it may be um, and then put in cue points so I know where to get in and out and then also just have a general idea of where I want to get in and out and how I want to get in and out in a way that will work for the vibe I'm trying to achieve at that point in time of the night. And in a way that will be cool or different from somebody else, you know, some wordplay um, or just just a cool way to bring something in and out, um, you know, and, and kind of like have an idea of where I want to go. Um, and, and all that is, is really, really time consuming, you know, because you're dealing with so much music now 
there's so much music that comes out on on a weekly basis that it, it's it's almost overwhelming. You know, in this day and age, it, it was it wasn't this much when I started, but now in the, in the digital era, there's so much music being produced and released on a weekend basis. It's just it's it's a lot of prep work involved. Um, so uh, people tend to just you know <laughs> you know they come up and they're like. Uh, what do you mean you don't have it? I'm like, I don't have it. They're like, well, can't you play it off YouTube? And I'm like, no, man, that's not how this works. Which that's is funny. even more offensive because, you know, it's like. Yeah, I'm laughing because think- I used to do, when I said I used to help Mike, I'd set up and I'd be like the guy that would be his buffer, right? So he's in the middle of something and there's a million people coming up saying the exact same thing you just said. And I'd be the guy that'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll write down your request and then just forget it like throw it away because it's like no we can't do that <laughs> so that's funny I, yeah. I could visualize exactly what you're saying and there's always that drunk person that's like exactly like that what do you mean you can't get on spotify and play it for me please you know it's, it's such a it's such an entitlement need it now my way generation like i've i've it wasn't like this that many years, like 10 years ago, even when I was starting out, it wasn't like that. But now we're so used to having what we want, what we want it on the spot. You oh, know, sure. people are like, what do you mean you don't have it? Aren't you a DJ? And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. Like, this shit doesn't just appear, though. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm doing it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's a craft. You know? It's not just, yeah, you're not just, like you said, pressing play. You're putting a playlist that someone put on YouTube. It's like an actual art form. And that's what people don't get. Exactly. No, they don't. And and you know that's because they're used to cookie cutters and they're used to shit being dumbed down. And and you know the the thing is, look, the barrier of entry for a lot of things, especially DJing. You know, it's not just DJing in general. Technology has made our lives easier, and it's made the barrier of entry cheaper and easier. So you got a lot of kids and a lot of people that have decided to enter the market that that don't have the talent, don't have the mindset haven't put in the work and don't care frankly they don't they don't care they don't think it's that important and they set the bar lower for the rest of us who actually put in the time the effort and the work and so it's hard for people to find the value and to decipher and to know the difference between a real dj and a you know a free j i call them oh that's great I, feel a like, I like that i feel like once you've heard you know a real dj play it it it's it's a stark difference like once you've heard one play you know you know what i mean like if you didn't know before now you know it's 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 a whole different experience well i think your choice of words Um, there is is telling too when you've heard one play you know most people think a band to play or a singer will play but not a a dj presses play like you said is what most people would think not that they're playing like they are bringing something else to that situation and it, that's what people have to realize it's like he's playing he's performing right now he's not just you know hitting the space bar to, for a track to play 100 percent, 100 percent. um yeah it's it's uh it's it's an art it's a craft and uh, a dying one at that but i feel um you know i feel it's an important thing to keep alive and um you know and, and to take the time to 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 give a shit about you know like you 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 know the difference between somebody who's you know taking all, like how I talked to you about the prep work I know when somebody's putting in the time and not to prep shit you it, it reflects in their performance um 
you know, and for, for some people, maybe it started off as uh, a way to just make a couple of bucks. But for me, it will always, always was and always will be more than that. You know, it was never about the money when I started doing this. Like I told you earlier, I was shocked when I found out how much money I could make. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have just used it as a way to just, you know, generate an income and it, it reflects in their, in their set, you know, because they don't care about it like that. So, right. So speaking about an income, how does DJing turn into day trading? <laughs> how did that happen? It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. That's something I discovered on a completely separate path. So talk about that because um, that's interesting. It's one's an art form. I guess both could be an art form. I don't know much about day trading, but I mean, to me, when you say preparation and music, I'm sure preparation is a common theme when it comes to day trading. Then too, you have to research everything and know what you're buying and selling. But it's, it's to the, to preparation the average, yeah. is essential in day trading. You know what I love about day trading over DJing is is you can't bullshit your way through it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's not something that somebody can go in and 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 with with no experience and 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 and. You, you you can get lucky in anything, but like, what like it's either you if you're not putting in the work and the effort, like you're gonna fucking lose it all. You know, it's uh, day trading is a whole different animal from DJing. It, it's it's about um, really in its essence, day trading is about discipline, regimen, and 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 controlling your emotions. That's ninety percent of it. You know, I tell people, you know, not to get ahead of myself, but with, with day, people talk about day trading, they're like, oh, yeah, it's this easy and that easy. And I'm like, yeah, it, it all sounds really fucking easy until you're down $10,000. Yeah, let me, right. you, let me know how your plan works out for you when you're down 10 Gs. Like, it, it doesn't, it, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, without a it's not as easy as it sounds when you're actually in the moment and, and dealing with the emotions of things. It's not an easy thing. Well, this that's is why most people yeah. don't succeed at it. And this is not an easy week for you in the in the market. This is a rough week in the market. <laughs> no, no, and and look, and that's where you're wrong. That's where that's where it's funny because most people don't understand the mechanics of market. Sure. And and okay. I made money last week yeah i mean yeah technically shit to... went on sale right that's the market down you no, buy it for no, a i shorted you i'm sh shorting everything oh yeah okay so talk to me about that teach me something what does that mean okay so there are two things you can do to make money with day trading well there's a lot of different ways but i'll keep it for the sake of simplicity we won't talk about options you can buy or sell and you aka go long or go short now you're used to, hey, I'm buying Apple at $100 and then I sell it at 120 Right. Well, you can borrow shares of a stock, right? Sell it and then buy it back. It's called shorting. So if you think a stock is going to go down, let's say Apple is at $200 and you think it's going to go to 100 You borrow shares from your broker and you sell it on the open market for $200 a share. Then when it goes down... 50 bucks, right? Then you buy back the stock to a, at $150, keep the $50 difference per share, and then give the shares back to your broker. Hmm. So who taught you uh, that? You teach that to yourself too, like the DJ software? 
I taught myself everything. Self-taught with, with, I'm very, I'm self-taught with a lot of shit. Trading was a lot easier because I had tutorials, I had YouTube, I had a lot more resources because of the era we're in now. Right. Um, it was a lot easier to find, you know, access to the information I needed. But yeah, I was self-taught uh, day trading as well. That's awesome. So where does that come from in you? Like what makes you get up every morning or every night and DJ or day trade and just keep on grinding and going forward? Because not many people are wired that way. You know, I don't know how they're not. I I don't really know how the fuck they're not. Like you got, you have this one chance to make, make something out of whatever the fuck this is and you're going to piss it away doing nothing, you know, vegging out on the computer, watching, you know, animal videos, watching cat <laughs> videos, or I, I don't understand how you could not want to accomplish something, how you could be okay with mediocrity. I just was never, never okay with that. It, you know, maybe once upon a time when I was younger and didn't know better, but eventually you got to take a look around and say, you know, like, I want to do something with myself, you know? And, and, and that's pretty much why I, I get it. It's just second nature. It's just failure is not an option. You know, doing nothing is not an option. And, and not having pride in what I do is not an option with everything I do. It's funny. I now uh, know. I wish I had a better answer. No, it's a great I, answer, and it's, I now know why you and Mike are friends because that's that's the exact <laughs> exact same kind of stuff he and I would talk about freshman year in college through senior year in college, living together. He and I were both wired the exact same way you're talking about, where it's just we're looking around at everybody else thinking they're the crazy ones, and people are looking at us thinking we're nuts. So I get that, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I've always said if people don't think you're crazy, you're you're doing it wrong. Oh yeah, you know, Absolutely. you're doing it wrong if people don't think. If people aren't saying you're out of your fucking mind, you're you're doing it wrong. Like I I when I hear that shit, I know I'm on the right path. You know, when people are telling me I'm doing too much or you can't do this or you know blah blah blah, I'm like, all right, perfect. Just just fuels me. Just adds more fuel to that fire. Yeah, you, know. you said before the you know the term entrepreneur is often it's overused today, right? But a true entrepreneur hears that and they get pumped and they're like, "All right, I'll show you." You know, like you said, there's a oh, yeah. a free J to a GJ. There's entrepreneurs and there's wantrepreneurs. <laughs> there's people that want to be it but aren't willing to put in the work. Like you're talking about, big ten G's down and make something happen of it still. So that's a it's a very powerful mindset. Absolutely. And, and, and listen, man, that's the fucking hardest part about day trading. You know, not to segue out of the entrepreneur topic no, back to day trading. That's the hardest part about day trading is when you take those kind of losses, to be able to pick yourself up from them, that is the hardest part. And it's like, you know, you literally have to fucking like rise through the ashes like a phoenix, you know, and just, you know, you, you take these crushing losses and, and and you have to just like go about your days if nothing's wrong, right? And it's and it's not something that, that comes naturally. It's hard. And, and and you doubt yourself and and you have to, you know, pick yourself up and, and, and start fresh and, and just, you know, destroy it's pretty much destroying and rebuilding. And that's the hardest part about it is to go through that 
and then come back on top, but better and smarter. Right. And, and once you do, it's like every time you, you go through that, it's like obstacles in life. Day training in life are very hand-in-hand. It's, it's like an obstacle in life where it's like you, 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 you get fucking crushed, but you come back and you're stronger for it. You're smarter for it. You're wiser for it. Right. And it's the same thing with that. You, 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 you get, you have to destroy muscle to rebuild it stronger. And it's the same thing with something like that. Um, and, and that's, that to me is the hardest part about day training. But keep in mind, you should never be taking a loss. <laughs> for, for the record, you should never be taking a loss that you didn't expect. Every single train, you know, people are like, oh, you gamble. And I'm like, no, I don't gamble. I, I manage risk. You should be managing your risk. You should never, like, with day trading, you should never, like, lose more money than you expected because you have a plan already. You should never be taking losses that you didn't expect because you already expected that to happen. Right? Like, yeah. that's kind of how it works. You, you, it's a jungle, and you need, to, you need to have your own rules. And if you don't have rules because of your lack of discipline, you're going to lose. Period. So this is a perfect segue. And you can't see me because we're on the phone when I'm smiling because you you and I are more alike than you know. We haven't met, but I want to meet you now because I just we have so much in common. So I'll, I always ask people in this uh, three different questions. I'm going to get into that now because this is a great segue. So you talked a lot about that mentality and you know losing but expecting it and learning from all these different hardships and that's what made you are. So one thing I always ask people is, you know, I call it the highs and the lows, right? So the best moment of your life is the generic question and the worst moment of your life. And it could be your life in general. It could be day trading. It could be DJing, but I'm a firm believer. Your lowest, you learn the most from it. And that often leads to the highs. And I love to talk to people about that to see if that proves me right or they prove me wrong. But just you talking about losing, but calculating it to me, it, it goes right into that. So, what would you say was the low? low lowest, yeah, good. Lowest, I can I can answer the lowest point easily, and that that's an easy answer. Being homeless, eating Christmas dinner by myself at a Chinese buffet. Wow, that's okay. That's deep. That that is that's yeah. rough. That that's like hands down lowest point in my life. Um. Again, I'm a real, I'm a very private person. So, like, as far as elaborating on that, I don't want to. That's but fine. I can answer the question. Hands down, lowest point in my in my life. Um, uh, highest point have yet to be lived. I don't, I don't really want to look at. I've had like, because uh, to me, if I say, "Oh, this is the highest point in my life," that implies that good times are never going to be as good as that, and I don't view life like that. So. If I was to say this was the highest point in time of my life, that would imply that it ended. And I don't want to believe that, or I, I don't believe that, that I believe I'm going to have better times, and just in general, this is a better time in life for me, you know, going forward and, and will be continually. Um, so I really, so highest point in time of my life, every moment I have, right now that's an awesome I try to treat it like yeah. that that's an awesome outlook and one that probably none of us can understand unless we were at that low point you were at like you mentioned so i respect that a lot um thank you yeah you're welcome 
appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, what, do you, what would you say has been the best piece of advice that you've received? Wow. I got to limit it to one. <laughs> yep, pick one. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if I can, can narrow that down. I've, I've received so much good advice in my life. Um, to, to, to just, you know, to narrow that to a quote is really tough. I mean, never settled. I, I, I see every time I go to think of one to say, it's like, it's like, oh, that's not really that great. Like I've received so much good advice in my life from so many different people. Um, I guess, I can kind of like flip the question around and say the best advice I can give to anyone is to, you know, and just don't fucking accept mediocrity. Don't, don't, don't be okay with being okay. You know what I mean? Don't, yeah. don't allow a, a situation. Don't, here you go. This would be a good answer. Don't allow a situation to be, to control you, control your situation. Because everything in life that that happens to you, you have control over. You have not control over the situation, but you can control how you react to it. So if you react to it in a bad way, you're going to receive bad results. No matter what happens to you, you have control at all times. You are in control of how you react to that situation. And anything else, anybody who tells you different is full of shit. You know, the worst thing can happen to you, but you can make the best of it. You can be a quadriplegic and come out with it with a better outlook than somebody who, you know, has everything in life but is sad because they were left by somebody. It's like when you compare the two of them, they're not comparable. But, but you know, you have control. At, at any, so pretty much at any point in time, you have control over how you control, you have control over how you respond to a situation and you can't let a situation affect you or consume you because you have control over how you respond to it and react to it and deal with it. That would be the advice I would give to somebody and probably was told to me at one point. So That's awesome. You don't know that, but that was my next question is the best advice you could give and you answered it already. So that's perfect. And so this is... <laughs> And this is the coup de grace, if you would, of the episode. Um, I know we talked previously before this, and you had no idea who I was before Mike said, hey, dude, talk to Miles. So you haven't listened to these, but I ask everyone the same question and just give you some insight into it. The whole idea of relish the journey for me was just how do I describe this thing in my brain? Like I feel like everyone has something to talk about, like I said to you at the beginning of this, and you, we all are guilty of living life and having this journey, this beautiful journey, but not taking the time to really relish it and love the high points, the low points, the advice we're given. Realize that we have value and have advice to give to others. And I love this as a vehicle for that into the world. And so part of it is relish the journey's three words. And so I got to thinking that's how I describe the podcast in three words. But how would I describe my life in three words or ask people to do the same? And so that's that's where I take this every time is I'll ask you to describe your life in three words. And it can be a phrase 
or three individual words, but how would you never su- give up? Never get up. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not surprised by that after talking with you for the last hour or so, but that's that's perfect. So talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you talked about your low point and where you're at. You don't want to get into it, but what what ingrained never give up into you? That's how you, that's how you describe your life. I I I don't know how I don't know why I'm wired like this. I I I wish I knew so I could bottle it and sell it because I'd be a fucking billionaire, <laughs> right? But with with like I'm just persistence. Like everything comes down to persistence. No matter what it is, no matter what area of life you look at, no matter the the um, no matter what you're doing, no matter the career, whatever it is, it can all be summed up by people are persistent they don't give up they get their way they're persistent period and persistence is the most important quality a person can have um to to be achieving goals and to be accomplishing anything and 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 with everything i've ever encountered in life i've hit a thousand roadblocks and it was up to me to pick myself up from them mentally and overcome them whatever it may be and that required persistence you know i'm i'm self-taught with everything i've done you know i had don't get me wrong i've had help plenty of help along the way and 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 everybody needs help but realistically i'm self-taught at the end of the day whether it be with djing um yeah rob gave me a crash course but then said here you go practice and i practiced and that's what made me better um, you know, web development, you know, I told myself jQuery, JavaScript, uh, CSS, HTML coding, taught myself that, you know, visual basic and C++, um, coding. I know how to do that. I taught myself that, um, Photoshop, you know, I taught myself Photoshop and, um, uh, Adobe, I can't even remember the name of the pro- I'm drawing a blank, Adobe Audition, what, what is the... Do you know the, the video graphic program uh, for uh, Adobe Premiere? Uh, okay, Adobe yeah. Premiere, um, Ableton Live for production, and even producing in general. I taught myself how to do sound design and and design sounds and day trading, self-taught, and all that required persistence. Because believe me, there was so many times that I just wanted to fucking give up and and throw in the towel and be like, this isn't gonna work. And it came down to me and my mindset saying, no, it will. And, you know, persistence and, 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 and the drive to keep going and never giving up to achieve those things. Um, and, and that's how I was able to accomplish anything it, that was great. Because greatness demands you doing more than the next person. That's what makes it great. So I got to ask you this because... You know, I'm fascinated by you now. <laughs> I love your mindset. Where do you see yourself in five, ten years? I mean, well, back up. How old are you right now? I'm, do I have to share this? I'm 32. 32. Okay. So 32. I'm 28. I'll share it myself too. That way you're not alone. So 32, you know, in eight years you're going to be 40. That's a big milestone for anyone. With everything yeah. you just described in your work ethic, you know, I believe someone like you has a probably one, three, five, ten year plan. Where's life taking you? Man, I'll still be grinding eight years from now. I always will be. 
because I love the grind. Period. I I love I love challenges. Period. I have thought about you know a quote unquote normal life, and I'm sure that I'll fit that in where where I need to. But you know the grind is is is, is fun. Like there's there's no real. Um, you know, I, I have my own like little vision, I guess you want to say. That's my own private vision that I don't really want to. Hold on, let me cancel this call that I have coming in. I have my own like vision that I have for myself and and, and where I want to be on a on um on a on a physical and mental level, sure. and I will achieve it. But you know, for me to say, oh, I'm going to be here doing this. You know, who the fuck knows? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I can finish this interview, walk out of the house, and get hit by a fucking car. And that's <laughs> it. You know, a little gloom. This is how I look at things. You know what I mean? But, like, no, I, I have you. no... Yeah. You know what I mean? My mindset is, is, is I will be what I want to be because I will make it that, I guess you could say. It's awesome. You got me so pumped up. You said you're going to the gym later. I'm going to have to go do push-ups or something. You got me ready to go. <laughs> So, yeah, that's where I'm going as soon as we're done with this, yeah. Man, talk about Relish the Journey, about unseen work. All of my favorite themes are also evident in that conversation with Jay. And even towards the end there, I loved how I asked him a question and he paused. And I left the pause in there. That wasn't a mistake. And he said that he's still going to be grinding eight years from now. And I'm sure even more than eight years. I think that's the biggest thing everybody needs to hear Anybody who's done any level of success, has any has had any level of success. There you go. I'm tongue tied. I'm gonna leave that in there too. <laughs> this is real, everybody. Anyone who has had any level of success, it's easy to look at that success and assume it was easy. Assume it came overnight. Assume it was handed to them. But then you hear people like Jay talk about just pure will and determination and being consistent and persistent. They create things for themselves and. That is what more people need to do, in my opinion. We, we all sort of wait around for to be saved or for someone to show us the exact path. And you don't find the path unless you set out into the wilderness and find it yourself, right? You have to make the map as you go instead of waiting for it to be served up to you. And that's what Jay's done. That's what Jay's going to continue to do. And that's what he gets me pumped up to do. Hopefully, the same is true for you guys. So let me know what you think. If, if you agree with all this or not, shoot me a voice message at that link in the show notes. Send me an email, you know, DM me on social media, whichever your preferred method of uh, communication. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you want to be a guest, hit me up as well. I'm starting to line up season four so we can get that going. And I just appreciate y'all being here. And we'll be here again next week with another uh, previous interview with a fresh take on it. It's been really fun for me. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. So until next time, this is Relish the Journey. I am your host, Miles Biggs. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>